0: Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh. Thanks for joining today. I'm so glad to share the next few minutes with you. I'm all about you thriving in life and growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And at Valley View Friends Church, we like to say this, that we are learning how to live as God's people. And we do that by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus Well, today we are continuing and we've got about a month left in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' teaching that calls the Christian to live a holy life. Well, in his little book, Illustrations of Bible Truth, the famous evangelist H.A. Ironside pointed out the folly of judging others. He related an incident in the life of a man called Bishop Potter. He was sailing from Europe, or for Europe, on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners. When he went on board, he found that another passenger was to share that cabin with him. After going to see the accommodations, he came up to the purser's desk and inquired if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained that ordinarily, he never availed himself of that privilege, but he had been to his cabin and had met the man who was to occupy the other berth judging from his appearance he was afraid that he might not be a very trustworthy person the purser accepted the responsibility for the valuables and remarked it's all right bishop i'll be very glad to take care of them for you the other man has just been up here and left his valuables for the very same reason ouch i guess we don't always know what to think of others because you have no idea what they might think of you Well, today's passage is about judging, and Jesus uses all kinds of strange words and pictures to talk about judging. I mean, we read about logs and pigs and doors and dogs in this passage, and it's a strange series of images, but Jesus gives through those images an important teaching on how to treat people around you. Do not judge others. And treat others the way you would want them to be treated. That's how it begins and ends that teaching on uh, how to treat others. So, our scripture reading today begins with a very specific action towards others, judging. Or for that matter, the warning is to not judge others. At the end, we find a call to do for others what you want done for yourself. And it's interesting, too, because the command isn't what not to do. But what to do, do to others what you would have done to yourself. Both of these commands are valued dearly by just about everybody I've ever run into. Even non-Christians value the golden rule and the command not to judge. I am convinced that most people like the command not to judge so that they can escape scrutiny. They read the words, do not judge, as mind your own business. Most people like the idea of being treated well, so they like the golden rule. They like the idea of people being nice, but I don't know that we really dig into these words for what Jesus is trying to tell us. There's much more at work in these words than uh, that surface level reading. And while they're seldom read together, I've recently encountered a teaching that invites us to read Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 12 and read it all as one unit on how to help restore those that we love. So as I read the text, no doubt you will feel what so many of us do when we read these words of Jesus, that they cover many different topics, like judging and dealing with your own problems before you deal with others' problems, and and not casting pearls before pigs, and asking how we ask God for things in prayer, and of course, doing to others as you would have them do to you. There's a whole bunch of topics, and I think you'll hear them. But today, I want to challenge you to try to tie them all together. Yes, they can and certainly should be read as separate topics. But again, like I said, I recently came across a teaching on wanting to restore others that ties all of them together in a very lovely way. Much of the sermon today is is not really my own. It's from the writing of James Bryant Smith in his book that it comes from is The Good and Beautiful Life. It's a great book. In the book, Smith proposes that all these verses, you know, Matthew 7, 1 through 12, deal with judging one another, or rather, warning not to judge. And it calls for an approach, a new approach to dealing with how to restore people who we see are struggling. So, Judgment does not change unrighteousness. This is the warning that Jesus gives. Judgment doesn't change unrighteousness, but restoration, that does. And restoration is found in persistence in your own spiritual health and in prayer and in communicating that you want the best for others. So, let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 12. Now, I want to challenge you again. Lots of different topics here, maybe different passages of scripture we don't always know what to do with, but let's tie them all together. Beginning in verse 1, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, "Let me take that speck out of your eye" when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take care of the first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Well, this text starts very clearly. Jesus, he says very concisely, very pointedly, do not judge. In fact, if you judge, that's how you will be judged. Ha ah, those words, easier said than done. Do not judge. But what is Judgment. I think we all know what judgment is when we feel it come to bear on ourselves. We feel the shame, we feel maybe unloved, we feel foolish for being called out for what we've done wrong, maybe we feel like we don't measure up. We know how it feels to be judged. And the defiant cry of our times is, don't judge me, you don't know me. And there's truth in those words. Our judgment often results from not knowing how far a person has come. I want to be clear, though, that God is perfect. He is the perfect judge, and his judgment is good. His judgment (sighs) should make us tremble, because one day his judgment will be final. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this, God's truth judges created things out of love, and Satan's truth judges them out of envy and hatred. And I believe, unfortunately, we practice that latter type of judgment more often than we'd like to think and we judge more out of hatred or envy, uh, we certainly are not capable of judging the way God can, because He is the only true judge. Warning, not judging, because I know a lot of us feel this when we hear about not judging. Not judging, failing to practice judgment or refraining from practice judgment uh, does not mean that we turn a blind eye. Not judging doesn't mean that we just say everything's okay if it works for you. It's not like saying, all right, there'll be no problems from now on out. That's not how it works. Most people will say, stop judging me. What they mean is mind your own business and get off my back. And that's not what we're aiming at here with this text. That's certainly not what Jesus was calling us to. All throughout the Bible, God calls His people to live holy lives set apart for Him. And if we're going to live a holy life, if we're going to live in the world but not of the world, well, we need to practice some discernment, some judgment. Romans 12.2 tells us this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That text right there tells us that, okay, if we're not going to conform to the pattern of this world, we need to discern the pattern of this world. And if we discern, then we'll be transformed. And that transforming will, be able to, will empower us to be able to discern even more, to test and approve. You and I need to see the world. We need to evaluate, and we need to discern if we are really living differently. So what's the difference between judging and evaluating, especially when we look at others? What's the difference between judging our neighbor and holding them accountable for their actions? And there is a difference. I really like what James Bryant Smith writes, and he offers a, a good definition, a good way to think about judging, the judging we're to avoid. He says this, judging is making a negative evaluation of others without standing in solidarity with them. I want to read that again. The type of judging we're to avoid is that judging is making a negative evaluation of others without standing in solidarity with them. So it's a negative eva- evaluation without wanting to assist and help and restore. Judging ultimately cares more about yourself than, than the person that you're looking down on. And you'll know you're judging someone when you're looking down on them. That's a key there, too. And even more about judging, judging when it's the type that Jesus is forbidding, it puts us on uneven ground. We'll take the moral high ground instead of saying, you know what, we are all equal at the foot of the cross of Christ and we all need Jesus. Jesus. Now, Smith writes that judgment rears its head, or judging rears its head primarily for two reasons, and one of them sounds good, and I think we can see that the other one isn't. The one that sounds good is that judgment, judging, rears its head to try to fix people. And that sounds good. The second reason is it tries to make us feel better about ourselves. Now, you might say, yeah, it's good to want to fix those we love, but fixing through judging is different from the sort of restoration work that God calls us to. Smith describes this fixing as, uh, and his words are, condemnation engineering. That is, we're going to give someone a good talking to, we're going to point out all the problems so they can get back up to their, get their senses back and get back on the straight and narrow and get things fixed. Sometimes that works. Most of the time, though, that tongue lashing just doesn't do the job. Smith writes that this sinful judging by verbal confrontation often does not work because, well, it seldom flows from a heart of love, or at least it may be you're concerned, but it's not done in a loving way. Judgment too, like this, is often a shortcut because restoration can only occur in me when I realize my faults and my shortcomings and I repent of them, I have to come to the point where I embrace them and I understand them and I realize them and I own the problem so that I can hand it over to God. And sometimes it works to tell someone their faults, but more often it's better to come alongside a person and help them as they recognize their own faults on their own. Yes, we need to be truthful, but if we try to shortcut and we don't let someone own their issue. It's hard to surrender it then. Outright confrontation. I know this is true of me. An outright confrontation can cause a person to dig deep in and deny their faults even more. Oh, for you to tell me I've got a problem. We just say, ah. <sighs> so, be careful. Judgment is sometimes a shortcut because we want people to be healthy. But we want to do the work of identifying their sins for them. Another reason judging that Jesus is warning against doesn't work is that judging deconstructs a person's life without wanting to reconstruct it. We lob a grenade in, ha, see all the problems, and then we walk away. They'll fix themselves once they realize how bad they're off. We can't just deconstruct, that doesn't work. You've got to restore, you've got to reconstruct. And the fourth reason that judging doesn't really work is that our judgment itself may be wrong. There are times when we look at someone and we see their flaws and we might see the problems. But as we look at them, we also fail to see their obedience and their heart for how far they've come. And maybe that obedience in the heart is actually wanting to please God, but we don't see it. We just see the problem. You never know how far someone has come. We don't always know all the facts. Philo of Alexandria said this, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. I think we forget that when we see flaws in others. They're fighting a battle. We don't know if they are desirously grabbing onto their flaws, or if they're trying to fight them off, but they don't know how. Here's another story. John Wesley told of a man he had little respect for because he considered him to be miserly and covetous. One day when this person contributed only a small gift to a worthy charity, Wesley openly criticized him, just called him out. After the incident, the man went to Wesley privately And told him he'd been living on parsnips and water for weeks. He explained that before he converted to Christianity, before he had become a Christian, he had run up many bills. And now, by skimping on everything he could and buying nothing for himself, he was paying off his creditors one by one. He said, Christ has made me an honest man, and so with all these debts to pay, I can only give a few offerings above my tithe. I must settle up with my worldly neighbors and show them what the grace of God can do in the heart of a man who was once dishonest. We don't always know how far someone has come. We might just be judging what we see in the moment. There's another dark side to judging, and that is We often do so, or when we do it, we feel better about ourselves. And it's so easy to slip into this, even without realizing it. I find one of the easiest indications when we're slipping into judging and we're starting to feel better about ourselves is when our language begins to get filled with words like us and them, me and those people over there. When we create sides, and these sides might be very real. We run the risk of putting ourselves on a pedestal, and those people down there we put low in the bad lands. Be careful of creating sides where we shouldn't. One of the sneakiest ways judging creeps in is through gossip. James Bryant Smith writes this gossip allows us to escape into a world where we are superior to those we are gossiping about. John Wesley. Challenged his listeners to avoid gossip in this way, says, not to mention the fault of anyone behind their back, and to stop short those that do. That's quite a challenge. So Jesus commands us not to judge. And as I mentioned, a lot of what I'm teaching today comes from James Bryant Smith. He says that when we connect up all the different parts of Matthew 7, 1 through 12, we see that Jesus gives us several reasons why judging doesn't work and what to do instead. So, you know, I agree with this teaching. I think it's great. You know, we can look at each verse individually. There's value in that. But I want to try to back out and put them all together here. So, let's start with some of the reasons in this text today that Jesus gives us why judging does not work. And the first one is this, when we judge others, it provokes anger and then often a retaliatory or judgment. So, I've always read verse one, you know, don't judge others, otherwise you'll be judged by that verse there. Um it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. I've always read that verse as though it's saying, you know, if I judge others, God will judge me. That's not how it works, because Christ is the judge. He is always the judge. I, I can't avoid that He is the judge, and He will judge my life. John 5, 22-23 says this, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. The judgment of Jesus is inescapable. The difference when you stand before that judgment is if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior. If you believe in what He did on the cross, if it was free, if you believe that what He did was for you, and that the shedding of His blood was for the forgiveness of your sins, that makes the difference at the judgment. So, if we can't avoid that, what are we? What is Jesus warning against us? So, what judgment is brought upon us when we judge others? Maybe that's a better way to put it. And Smith proposes that when we judge others, we provoke them, we anger them, and so we close a door of opportunity to help restore them. I mean, I'm sure you've had conversations with people or someone's had a conversation with you and the response is, oh, you think I'm so bad? Well, you're no perfect angel yourself. Who are you to tell me how to live? When others judge me or when I judge others, that's the knee-jerk reaction. And in that moment, our judging closes the person off from an opportunity of hearing the truth and being healed by the truth. So be careful. This is why Jesus warns against judging. You can provoke anger. You can provoke judgment back onto yourself from the person you're reaching out to. Second warning he gives us is that judging obscures our vision, preventing us from being able to help others. I've always read the passage about needing to fix myself, uh, the, you know, the speck in the other's eye and the plank in my own. I've always read that and said, okay, I got to fix myself before I try to fix others. And I believe That's true. We do need to work on ourselves before we help others. Spiritual health, it starts with me. But judging becomes a log that makes us absurd and unable to help others. You know, Jesus uses the word to describe that situation with hypocrite, okay? And we just know this. Nothing discredits the truth. Nothing nothing discredits your ability to speak into someone's life like hypocrisy. So, be careful. Any sin can become a log. We we know this to be true. And certainly, judging can become a log. In fact, I think judging others, the, the practice of judging others, really becomes like having a redwood tree stuck in your eye. So, so far we've touched on verses 1 through 5. You got two warnings there. First one, as I said, judging can provoke anger and then a retaliatory judgment from the person you're confronting. And secondly, judging can obscure a vision because it becomes a log in our eye. But then thirdly, judging, it does not nourish a soul the way it needs for restoration. So our text has this strange couple of verses here that are really hard to handle. I talk about uh, giving dogs what is sacred and casting your pearls before pigs and uh, it's hard to understand those verses now, John Stott proposes that, in very rare instances, there will be people who have hardened their hearts so much to the gospel that continuing to present the good news to them is only giving them an opportunity to tread on the name of Jesus. and for you know, I, I think we need to be a little bit aware of that. i We should always be ready to share the gospel um but I'm not sure we should be giving people an opportunity to just defame or, or to uh, demean the name of Jesus. But I really like James Bryant Smith's take on uh, especially the pigs and the pearls. He, he makes a real simple observation. Pigs cannot eat pearls pearls. Pearls are indigestible. You and I, we can present truth if we're not careful, if, we're, if we are cruel about it, if we are unloving, if we are judging, we can present the truth in an inedible way. And that's no good. I cannot digest being judged or condemned. I mean, that's just me. I know if someone is condescending to me, I'm going to reject what they have to say. If they're kind to me, if they care about me, I want to hear what they have to say. So, there is a big difference between being condescending and being compassionate. And when we are condescending, we're making the truth inedible. And when we are compassionate, we are making it something that can be taken in. So, do not give what is holy to dogs and don't throw pearls to pigs. I, I really think that this has to do more with my attitude and my approach than the person I want to help. Sometimes there is work you have to do before the truth can be digested. And I, the question is, is, will you be willing to do that work? Fleming Rutledge writes this, only the person who is completely safe can understand the judgment, that judgment is good news. So, maybe there's something you need to do with somebody who needs to hear about the truth to help them feel safe, help them understand that this is done in love. So, if judging does not work, how do we confront? How do we restore others? And and I think the remainder of the passage really tells us how we can confront and restore others. Verse 7 begins pointing us in the right direction, and that is that we are to pray. For others, we're to ask. Your first step when you are concerned about someone should always be to pray for them. And I don't mean that you just pray for 30 seconds, but that you dedicate yourself uh, to deep prayer on your knees. You're going to be diligent in prayer for their well being. If you're worried about your children, if you're worried about your spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, your co worker, your neighbor, if it's someone you love, pray for them a lot. Get in the trenches and do the work of prayer. This is essential. So start praying for them right away. Now, when you start praying for them, you'll be tempted to start praying about their problem. Be careful of that. Your prayer might start sounding like, Lord, please fix this. Lord, they would be so much better if this was not a part of their lives anymore. Lord, why can't they see their problem? Lord, wake them up. Lord, snap them out of it. Lord, can't they see how much this is bothering me? And yeah, we need to pray about the problem at some point, but you need to pray for them. And that is different from praying about the problem. You need to pray for the person. You need to pray for their well-being. You need to pray for their relationship with God. And when you do that, you will shift from being frustrated to concerned about their well-being. Your prayer, when you pray this way, you allow the Holy Spirit to correct your estimation of the situation. And so, you you will let the Holy Spirit guide you in your prayers and it, you may get a whole different perspective on what the problem really is. James Bryant Smith indicates that you will often shift from praying about a behavior that you think is a problem to praying for God to heal a wound in that person's life that led to the behavior. Prayer, Prayer is so important. Prayer is so essential. Prayer invites God into the situation. Prayer fills us with compassion instead of criticism. And prayer opens us up to the wisdom of God instead of just relying on what we think might be good. So, we need to prayer. That's found in the first uh, word uh, that Jesus gives us in verse 7, ask. But there's a progression of terms in that command to pray. And, and and you can read from the other two that we are to persist because the word ask points us to prayer. But Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. And that progression is a progression of intensity. Asking is one thing, you know, praying. But seeking till you find, knocking till the door is opened, describes persistence. And so, we are to be persistent in prayer, and we are to be persistent in communicating that, you know, I am standing with you. The person you're concerned about, you're standing with them, and you want the best for them. You can't just say that once and hope they'll get it. Often when you confront people that have a problem in their life that don't know Jesus, either it's with the gospel that you're you're sharing, or there's a problem that they need to change, they don't want to hear it their knee-jerk reaction uh, is, the knee-jerk reaction of the sin nature is shame. And when we feel shame, we want to run and hide. And so, often when we talk to a person, their their reaction is, I don't want to hear what you have to say. You don't know me. It'll take time for someone to realize that you are for them, and that you stand alongside them, and that you want the best for them. So, you need to be persistent. You need to ask, seek God in prayer, and then seek and knock. Be persistent in that prayer. Be persistent in talking to the person you're concerned about, that you are for them. The way of the world is to take the moral high ground and lord over others with it. But the way of the Christian is to say, we all stand at the same level. None of us are better than others. We all need Jesus. We all stand at the foot of the cross. At the end of his teaching, Jesus talks about parents who are flawed, even uses the word evil. If you who are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will a good God give to us? The picture is that God has good in store for you and me. And then Jesus links that to the golden rule. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This is a great guiding principle in leading others through correction and to Jesus. Mother Teresa says this, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. So don't judge. Instead, do to others what you would have them do to you. None of us like our flaw- like having our flaws confronted. I mean, we have to. We can't just be allowed to live in, in our sin But there's a world of difference between being a person who just goes around saying, ah, you're wrong, you're screwed up, get your life in order, and a person who says, I'm for you, I want the best for you, which is a life in Jesus. I'm going to walk alongside of you and cheer you on as you wrestle. And I guess maybe the word would be as you wrestle with the speck in your eye. So, if you have someone in your life that you're wrestling with, resolve today to work on yourself first to root out a spirit of judgment, and then pray for them deeply and diligently. Seek the spirit's leading in wisdom. Persist, 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 and then persist some more. Resist the urge to do a drive-by judging, lobbing grenades at the problem, Affirm, talking to. Yeah, we need to say what is true but communicate over and over that you stand with them and equal at the foot of the cross. And when you do those things, doors will be open to you. Opportunities will be granted to share the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, you've commanded us not to judge. And so, Lord, I pray for fathers who are listening, mothers, sons, daughters, You know all the relationships that are represented to those who are listening right now. And out of love and concern, we often fall into judgment. Instead, fill us with fervent compassion. Drive us to our knees in prayer. Help us to fixate on souls instead of sins. Because it's the souls we want to see in heaven. Help us to proclaim boldly the love of Jesus for all of us. For we all need the grace of Christ found at the foot of the cross. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.